How can I improve my email newsletter? What was the first social media platform you signed up for? MSN Messenger? MySpace? Friends Reunited? Facebook? Tumblr? Google Plus? Instagram? TikTok? Clubhouse? The answer doesn't matter. What matters is realising that social media platforms come and go. The paragraph above will sound completely out of date in a few years. Next question. When did you first use email? Have you read an email today? Email is unchanging and it's everywhere. My hunch is that we will all still be using email when today's hottest social media platforms are but a nostalgic memory. Therefore, if you are starting as a working adventurer, I would urge you to begin a newsletter immediately and start building an email list as well as growing an audience on whichever social media platforms appeal to you to focus on. Set up your own blog on your own website, a small corner of the internet that actually belongs to you and will do so forever. Gathering the email addresses of people interested in what you're doing is vital for anyone hoping to earn an income from their creative work. Be sure only to collect email addresses of those who are happy for you to do so, of course. Make it easy for anyone to sign up for your newsletter on your website, through your social media bios and email footer. My newsletters are at www.alistairhumphreys.com newsletters. For a long time, I cared only about how many subscribers had signed up to my list. These days, I care far more about engagement levels, i.e. how interested an audience is, rather than merely how big it is. Over 20 years, I'd accumulated a list of more than 40,000 email addresses. Inevitably, a number of those became obsolete over time. So I began a pruning process, removing all the dead email addresses. Then I went further, emailing everyone to check whether they wanted to remain on my list and offering instant ways to unsubscribe if they did not. I even culled anyone who hadn't opened one of my newsletters in recent months. I was ruthless. The result of all this was that my email list now stands at 19,000 readers. This is not as good for my ego as 40,000 was, and it will cost me money the next time a brand considers hiring me or paying for a mention in the newsletter. But it's more realistic. It's far more engaged, which is important for evading spam filters, and it's much cheaper. It's also barely changed the numbers who actually open each newsletter. For the price of a vanity metric, I have improved my newsletter's deliverability and saved over £600 per year. Think of this like a party. You can throw one of those parties posted on Facebook where masses of strangers turn up, eat all the snacks, wreck your house, and then the police arrive and shut everything down. You can have a party where you invite everyone you've ever known, including a bunch of guests who don't even want to be there, and you never get to talk to your actual friends because you spend the whole night pushing through crowds of strangers. Or you can throw a party for a specific group of friends who are all on the same wavelength. Everyone has a brilliant time, and both you and they can't wait to do it all again soon. That is what you should aim for with your newsletter. Like everything else in this book, I began small. I gathered email addresses from people who read my blog or came to my talks. I copy-pasted them into the BCC section of an email and told them the news from my adventures. 
As the list grew, I moved on to Google Groups to keep people updated on my upcoming speaking events or books I'd written. Over time, I've moved through mailing options such as Tiny Letter, really nice and simple, MailChimp, once my list got too big for Tiny Letter, Sendy, and MailWiz, once MailChimp got too expensive, and now I use MailerLite, which I'm currently happy with. As always, the platform you choose does not matter nearly so much as what you do with it. One avenue I haven't yet explored are subscription-based newsletters, where readers pay to receive your content. They're becoming popular, and some writers are having success with it. Yet, as a reader, I don't want to pay to receive email. I have enough books to read without paying for more emails. That perspective tempers my enthusiasm for trying this route as a writer. I'm also wary of how many eyeballs I would lose by restricting access to the paying few. My approach is to try to grow a large, engaged audience through free email newsletters and hope readers will become motivated to buy one of my books or buy me a virtual coffee through an online tip jar at Ko-fi or Patreon if they find my writing helpful. There are many different ways to approach an email newsletter. Ask yourself these questions when trying to decide your own direction. Which newsletters do you enjoy receiving? Why do you like them? Which newsletters that you receive do not work well? Why not? How often do you like receiving newsletters? Daily, weekly, monthly, or only when they have something to sell you? What will be your aim when you send out a newsletter? What is your elevator pitch that you will consider every time you write? What niche will you focus on? Who is your audience? Try to imagine your most committed reader when you write a newsletter and pitch it for them. How much good stuff do you have to share? How much time and effort are you willing to put into your newsletter? Are you looking to share curated content from other websites and blogs in your niche? Or will you send out original content of your own? The latter option is better, but more challenging, putting you in a better position to be an authority in your niche, whilst at the same time getting thousands of words written, which you can later convert into a book. Sending newsletters is not as simple as emailing your granny to arrange a game of squash and then receiving her reply. Once you start emailing large numbers of folk, most of your messages do not even get opened. I'm happy if 40% of my emails are opened and 8% of readers click on a link. The newsletter series that preceded this book, The Working Adventurer, has a 60% open rate, which helped convince me that it was worth writing the book. Some of the emails you send will be automatically, if erroneously, siphoned as spam. Most are archived, deleted or ignored by the recipients. Those who don't read your newsletters hurt your overall deliverability and cost you money, so it's important to be ruthless in removing dead wood. You can take many actions to improve all these statistics, but, yet again, the best approach is to produce superb content over a long period. Make your newsletters mean something and fill them with meaty information that improves our days. None of us needs more boring email in our lives. I will resist diving down into the nerdy rabbit holes of opening rates, optimal sending times, A-B testing and whitelisting, but once you get your newsletter established, I would urge you to read up on those. How you create your newsletter is up to you. 
Do you want to tell stories, to be a useful expert, to grow your audience, or simply to sell stuff? Whatever you settle on, you should be focused. Once you are clear about your tone and message, repeat, repeat, repeat it. I have spent so many years writing blog posts about how to sleep on a hill and sending out links in newspapers about people who are living adventurously, why don't you try that too? Yet, the number of subscribers who are interested in that only continues to grow. I try to keep my newsletters personal, as though it's an email from a friend rather than a corporation. I ask readers to reply to me with their thoughts. I ask questions about how I can make my newsletters more beneficial for them. What do you want? How often do you want it? Over time, the content of my newsletter has evolved. I still include news of what I've been up to, but my focus is much more on providing a curated collection of nuggets that interest me. I do this because I don't have so many big adventures to talk about and because I don't have enough time to write regular essays for a newsletter. Many people who write about growing email lists advise that you should have something to give away. Sign up for my newsletter and receive a free ebook about how to get a six-pack in six weeks. Note, I uh, never signed up for that newsletter. Giving something away is an effective way to gather email addresses and worth trying if you have suitable materials to give away. But the cheap immediacy of it makes me doubt how engaged or interested those new sign-ups will be in the long run. A sure-fire way for your newsletter to be ignored or siphoned into spam is if it is very sporadic. It's only marginally better than sending nothing to belong to the newspaper brigade of Sorry I haven't been in touch for a year, but I've just published a book and you can buy it now. You will have much more long-term success if your newsletters are regular, not necessarily frequent, and if they serve a purpose for your reader. That could be to entertain them, to keep them abreast of the genre you're an expert in, or to help them and teach them. I quickly tire of the me, me, me newsletters, which read like the old boast-in-the-post Christmas letters from distant relatives. Of course, you are trying to get something out of your newsletters, but it's a good habit to think of what you can give first and foremost. Give, give, give useful content so that when you then ask your readers for something, you have enough goodwill capital in the bank so that they are more likely to think, oh, go on then. When you do ask your readers for something, don't bury it in embarrassment at the bottom of the email. Digital attention is very fleeting, so you have to make your call to action clear, immediate and specific. For example, I'd love you to buy a copy of my new book. You can order it here in the UK and here in every other country with free worldwide shipping. Thank you. Or, getting books reviewed on Amazon makes a huge difference to independent authors like me. If you have read my book, could I please ask you to take 30 seconds and leave your honest opinion on it here or post a cover photo on your social media. Thank you. One subject which has got me very excited recently is the world of automated email sequences. These are a fabulous subject to bring up in conversation in the pub if it's feeling a bit crowded and you'd like to clear some space around you. So they are nerdy, yes, but they are both efficient and a good way for telling stories. Two traits I hold dear as a working adventurer who would rather be out on my bike than setting up newsletters. 
You will have experienced automated email sequences even if you don't realise it. You sign up for a newsletter and then receive a series of emails building on the subject over the coming days or weeks. Whilst I could spend time each week writing an email series about how to plan an adventure, I'd much rather write it all in one go, automate it and then have a cup of tea whilst you enjoy the writing over several weeks. Two of my newsletters, The Doorstep Mile and The Working Adventurer, work in precisely this way. I'll use The Doorstep Mile as an example. I had the idea to write a series of free articles about dreaming big, overcoming the mental and practical barriers in our lives and starting small in the direction we want to go. In the past, I would have written this as a blog series or a book. Instead, I set it up as a newsletter. When somebody subscribes, they receive the first email introducing the subject. About a week later, they get the second email and so on. The newsletter provides a constant drip of helpful content for an interested reader without me having to do anything more than the initial work of setting everything up. Such newsletters are an ideal format for growing your 1,000 true fans, particularly if you include an occasional call to action, asking the reader to share it with anyone they know who might be interested. I've written my last two books via automated email newsletters. Writing a scheduled sequence of posts forced me to knuckle down and get the words written. The feedback from readers helped me edit and improve what I'd written. Then, when all the articles were finished, I could tweak and polish them into book chapters. I already knew I had a loyal audience who enjoyed what I'd been writing about and might help me evangelise about the book. From my own experience as a reader, I also know that if I really enjoy a dozen of someone's blog posts on a topic, then I would want to own and read their book of all those compiled blog posts even if I could seek out most of the material as individual blog posts online. Finally, bear in mind that you can't please all the people all of the time. Some readers will unsubscribe every time you send a newsletter. That's normal and perfectly fine. A few might also get very angry with you when receiving a newsletter they ask to receive. This is less normal and you can choose whether to be upset or amused by these messages. I enjoy using a few angry responses as the customer endorsements on my website for trying to persuade new readers to subscribe. For example, Pratt, do you really think people have time to read such crap? God knows who you could motivate having read that. Unsubscribed. Unsubscribing, you're rather a wordy bastard and all of them dull. Cheers. I've tried several times to unsubscribe from your horrendously beep, pish, crappy, useless and infuriating emails. They keep coming. Please can you beep off and leave me alone, you absolute beep. <laughs> um, beeps inserted by me, not my cheerful correspondent. And all this despite all my newsletters having a single click, obvious unsubscribe button. Quick question. What books have most influenced your life. I have given many copies of As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning as gifts, initially because I loved it as a travel story and latterly since I used it as the inspiration for my own busking adventure in Spain. I used to give away copies of It's Not About the Bike by Lance Armstrong. 
It was so inspiring to me during the years I was cycling around the world and one of my strongest influences. I was gutted when it turned out to be not so much about the bike as about the drugs. Other books that have disproportionately influenced my life include Living Dangerously. It was the first adventure book that captured my soul and made me realise that it was possible to live an unconventional, challenging life. Until I read that book by Ranulph Fiennes, every single figure in my life had been directing me, in a well-meaning way, down the usual route of school, university, job, pension, death. The Quiet Soldier is a book I read many times when I was young and learning to set high, self-motivated goals. In the end, I preferred to find my adventure in a world away from guns. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is a surprisingly upbeat read about life in a Nazi concentration camp. The one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance.